with uh, a parable. And this is the, uh, the parable of the painted window. It's one I'm sure you've heard before. Uh, but I'll, let's just, let me share it with you anyway. Oh, maybe you have. <laughs> there was a woman uh, who had been living in a darkened room for a long time. In fact, she'd been in this darkened room for so long that she couldn't remember how long she'd been there. Uh, she did know that it was cold and that it was dark, but it was okay because she'd learned to adapt. And she had several lamps around that, that provided some light. Uh, it was cold in there, but she'd learned to bundle up a little bit. And so she, she'd spent year after year in this darkened room uh, and was actually very comfortable. At times she was very, she felt that she was just kind of nesting and she was very happy to be in this dark little room. Well, as it turns out, uh, one day as she was moving some furniture around, she's got a yen to move something, and she moved something, and the back of a chair chipped off a little bit of paint off of the wall. And to her surprise, a little uh, sun, sunlight streamed through the window, streamed through this wall that turned out to be a window, and left a little uh, uh, kind of sunbeam there streaking across her room and against the floor. She stood there looking at it for a long time and it, was, and it was bright and it was a bit uncomfortable, but as her eyes adapted to it, it actually added some light to there and at a certain point she reached over and she even kind of felt the sunlight coming through the window and it was warm. And she thought, this is nice, she could actually take off her mittens and actually feel the warmth. She was also surprised that this wall turned out to be a window that had just been painted over. Uh, well, as it turns out, uh, a little later in the day, she decided if, if there's a little bit there, maybe I'll just chip away a little bit more. So she chipped away a little bit more, and now a larger uh, bit of light came through, and she just kind of sat and looked at it, and just it kind of added something to the room, and she kind of liked it. Well, the next day she got up and still was enjoying this, this sunlight, and so she actually broke away a little bit more, and now a larger beam was coming into the room. Uh, and she noticed something interesting. Not only was the light warm to her hands, but it was warming up the room as well. And, and she kind of liked that as well. She was actually, because the room got warmer, she was actually able to take off her coat and her sweater, and just the, the room was becoming warmer. Well, over a period of time, what she did is she started peeling away almost daily a little bit more of the paint and a little bit more of the paint, and now there was a lot more light coming in. And there were times that instead of kind of sitting in the dark looking at the light, she actually decided to move a chair into the light. She would sit there and just kind of feel the, the warmth of the light against her skin. And after a couple of days of that, she noticed something interesting, and that is that the places where she was sitting in the sun... Uh, her skin wasn't quite as pale. It began to look warmer and healthier and just felt better being in the sunlight. And she liked that so much that she began to peel off more and more of the, the paint and now she'd exposed almost two full panes of uh, the light and now it was streaming in and she really enjoyed that. And then after a few days of that, she had a thought. I wonder what would be, if I looked out the window, what would I see? Because up to this point, she'd just been enjoying the light inside. So she actually went to the window, and it was bright and dazzling at first, and she stood there long enough, and her eyes adapted to it. And she looked out, and to her surprise, she was actually looking at a large lake. 
And, and on the other side of the lake was a very beautiful mountain. And she was surprised that all along her house had been sitting alongside a lake and near to a mountain. And now she was really enjoying it. And in the excitement of that, she peeled away more paint and exposed more light. And sat in the sunlight looking out at the mountain and looking at the lake. And was really enjoying and part of her started to yearn a little bit to wonder what it would be like to maybe walk around the lake just a little bit. Well, one day she got up, and as she was starting to do just about every day, she peeled off a little bit more, and now almost all the paint was exposed. And as she was looking out, she actually noticed this time that there were, she could actually see some people. And they seemed to be walking around the side of the lake, and they were moving closer and closer, and they seemed to be drawn towards the mountain. And part of her, she was kind of surprised. She'd been comfortable in her room, but now she had kind of a yearning to go join everybody walking towards the mountain. And then the real shock came when she turned and she saw a man standing next to the window, which really shocked her at first. It scared her. And she should have been more scared because he was kind of a stranger. But there was something familiar about the man, and he had very kind eyes. And he looked safe, and he looked warm, and he looked inviting. And she stood looking at him, and he smiled at her. And, and, uh, and then, to her surprise, he kind of beckoned, and he kind of looked, pointed down a little bit. And to her surprise, alongside the window, she looked down, something she'd never seen before, and there was a doorknob. And he was pointing towards the doorknob. And she knew, as she was looking at it, he was inviting her to open the door and come out and join me. Now, let me stop for a second. What is the interpretation of the parable? Would you say? I see the light. I see the light. That might be the that might be it. What else? What did we just describe? Finding the gospel. Finding the gospel. Yeah? Yeah? Um, people that have struggle with depression or kind of hide themselves away um, after they kind of start healing from issues in their lives, they can allow more light in and start to become... At a deeper level, maybe those that have been struggling with darkness and depression. Okay. Yeah. More like our conversion. Yes. Conversion to... Well, to the atonement. To yes. Our, to Christ. Right. And... Yeah. Willingness to leave your comfort spot and explore something new. We have to kind of get out of that place. And I think it doesn't matter whether it's depression or the gospel or conversion, isn't that kind of the process? We've got to move from where we are and move into something else that is unfamiliar. Now, interesting thing about this too is that what effect did the light have on her? Yeah, so there was a yearning, and that she was feeling healthier, and it warmed her up, and warmed the room. Okay? Now, what, we, what we've just described, obviously, is also that this would be the process of becoming born again. <coughs> and and I, I want to use that as kind of a, a step towards uh, what we're going to discuss. Now, if we will... Yeah. Yeah. Let little louder so they can. 
at the baptism that I attended, the double baptism, it was on Skype, so their missionary son could watch them. The baptism that I attended, um, they Skyped it so that their son, who's a missionary in New York, could watch it. And that was really cool. Okay. Now, with that, okay, moving forward then. I wanted to start with this very true story. A man came bursting into Brigham Young's office, crutches flying. He only had one leg, and he shouted, Now, Mr. Prophet, I want you to give me another leg this instant, otherwise I will publish it abroad that you are not a prophet at all. President Young told him, true story, that that would be easy enough, but the consequences would result. The prophet explained that if he gave him another leg, it would rise with him in the resurrection, as would the other two legs. That would mean the man would have to deal with three legs for eternity. The man left shortly later. Yeah, you have to love Brigham Young. Okay. What does that have to do with anything? Nothing. I just like the story. All right. Now you know. That's exactly right. You don't want three legs through eternity, do you? No, that would be bad. Okay. Let's, uh, let's turn to uh, John 3. Um, and again, these are stories... I have to tell you that there are... I was telling Cindy, I may have to write a book someday that is like stories from the Bible that we thought we knew and then we know the real story and it turns out not what we thought at all. <laughs> these next two stories are going to kind of be that way. Because we think we know, but the more you delve into them, the more there's another story here that you didn't know, unless you actually look closely enough at it. Okay? This is one. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So, uh, let's stop for a second. So, Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, would probably make him what? Pharisee for sure, and, and a member of the Sanhedrin. Maybe a rabbi, probably a member of the Sanhedrin. Okay? Now, as a Pharisee, what would he believe? We talked about the difference between Pharisees, and they're fair because they believe in the resurrection, therefore they're fair, you see. But they also have the Greek influence? <clears throat> no, the Greek is more with the Sadducees. They're more kind of the ruling class. The Pharisees are like, they're like ultra-Orthodox. Okay? So, so that's where he's come from now. So he's going to come in. He's a ruler of the Jews. And the same came to Jesus at night. Uh, and said unto the Savior, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Okay, so tell me more about this, just based on that. Now what do we know? Did he pray so he's coming at night? Maybe, maybe not. <coughs> not wanting the people to see him. He yeah. recognizes that he has some power. He's recognizing who has power. Christ. Right. That Christ has power. He says you do these he's miracles. acknowledging that. Okay. Sounds like he's coming representing not Somebody. himself, but a group of people. 
Yes. And we don't know who that group of people is. Could it be other members of the Sanhedrin? Could very possibly be. Could it be members of his family? Could possibly be. There is one tradition that is out there that was in some of the early Christian writings that suggested that he had, uh, that Nicodemus had two daughters, Mary and Martha. Now, is that true? I don't know. But I'm just saying, obviously he's, he's representing somebody, it's not just him. Okay? But we know that he's coming at night, so he's not seen generally. Rabbi would be teacher. But the fascinating thing about this is, is that we know that you're, this teacher is doing miracles. You know, most of our other rabbis we've got hanging around aren't doing a lot of miracles. So we know that you're sent from God. That makes him a prophet. We know you're a prophet. Well, that's, that's quite a revelation. Coming from a member of the Sanhedrin. Probably. So, uh, and, and we know, including me, so does that mean that he's skeptical that he's a prophet or that he believes it? Probably believes it. And his, and his behavior, because we will see him two more times. One, he will argue in the Savior's defense at a trial, at the time just before the crucifixion. And we will also see him helping Joseph of Arimathea with the body after the crucifixion. So he's somehow involved in this process. That gives you some idea that he comes believing. There is, he has a certain knowledge already. Well, that's fascinating. Now, if you look in there, do you see a question? Because the Savior is going to answer him, and he's going to answer a question. What's the question? Who are you? Yeah. How do you do those, these miracles? How are you doing all of this? Yeah, it's in there, right? It's kind of implied. And we know this because the Savior is going to respond now. Jesus answered. You go, well, maybe there's... Where's the question? He's answering. No, he's responding. Maybe to... A, if this is a, an actual dialogue, and we're not missing any of the dialogue, he might be answering a question not asked. You might be answering a question not discerning it through the spirit what he's really asking and what do you think he might be really asking how am I saved what am I supposed to do if you are now what what what, what does that mean for me Jesus answered and said unto him verily verily I say unto thee except a man be born again he cannot see the kingdom of God now this is the role, this is the time in which we go, okay, this is like a really stupid guy, right? He just doesn't get the symbolism, he's a Pharisee, he's so literal, he doesn't get the symbolism. Maybe not. I want you to see it through a little bit different eyes. If the question is, what do I need to do? If you really are a prophet and you're sent from God, and I think you are, what he's really asking, what do I need to do? Where, where do I go from here? Because the problem is, I'm a Pharisee, and I'm a member of the Sanhedrin, or at least a ruler of the Jews somehow. That's that you're asking a lot. Well, and if, if they confess the belief in Christ, they would throw out the synagogue. If I if I 
if I come openly to you and, and profess who you are, I'm going to lose everything that I've got. Now, listen. look at what the Savior ends up saying. Now, here's, oh, here's the other thing. When it talks about being born again, his response is the one that we know traditionally. How can a man be born when he's old? How can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Let me translate this. Why would I need to be born again? Because I am born a Jew. How does salvation come if you're a Pharisee and a Jew? Through Abraham. So that means salvation comes as a result of my heritage, my lineage. I'm of the lineage of the Jews. Why would I want to be born again into another lineage? Because I'm already born into the chosen lineage. Why would I need to do that? Because my understanding is I am the children of Abraham, I am covenant people, I am blessed, I'm great. Why would I want to be born again? Not a matter of just stupidity like he's not getting this. No, there's a real question being asked here. What do I do? Yeah. I think that's the same kind of question that people ask today when they say, as non-members of the church that might be investigated, when they say, why would I need to be baptized? I've already been baptized. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What do I need to do next? Now what? Now, look at what the Savior is going to respond to him. And, and that there's a real subtle difference, but you've got to hear both. Okay? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, Prophet Joseph said, It is one thing to see the kingdom of God, it is another thing to enter into it. There's a couple of things in here that really jump. Think about the lady in the parable. It was one thing to see the beauty and the grandeur and begin to understand what is available out there, to be warmed by it, and to be changed by it. What was the next thing required of her? Enter. She's got to open the door and enter into it. Seeing it and entering it are two steps in the right direction, but they are two separate steps. But before she would open the door, she'd already have been changed by it. By, by, by the light, what she was seeing already. Was Nicodemus already changing? He was in the process of changing. Yeah. He was already being born again. If you open your heart to the life, you begin to change. Most people that are going to come into the church, by the time they get to the waters of baptism, have already been, in large part, born again. They have been changed. They're seeing the kingdom of God. They're being warmed by it. They feel it. It feels comfortable. It feels familiar. And they're already being born again. Then the next part is to be, to enter in. Okay? Now, that's why the second part of this, and this is fascinating to me, and this is terminology from Joseph Smith, and it just so well describes this process. Because he's going to say, we have to have a change of heart to see the kingdom of God, and to subscribe to what? Listen, look at the phrase he uses. 
Articles of Adoption. Now, uh, anybody here have uh, adopted kids? Okay. What would what would be the articles of adoption if you're going to adopt a child? What does that mean? They're going to be yours. Right. So there has to be some, but there's got to be some kind of legal work that that is approved to say they were born initially into another family. Now they're going to be born into into my family, and by signing these articles of adoption, what does that mean to them in terms of inheritance, for instance? Do they inherit from their adoption? Right. So in other words, everything if they're if you're going to adopt them. Now they are heirs of everything that, that you have, legally and lawfully. As if they had been born into your family to begin with. Legally and lawfully. And when you go to the temple, then it's, it's as if they were as if you had given birth to them. Okay? Now by virtue of that, they now have a new lineage. They and most of the time if they're going to go through Articles of adoption are going to take on a new name. Sure. So now I'm going to have a new lineage, a new name, a new heirship. I'm heir to everything that my new parents have provided for me. It is as if I had been born into this family. Okay? You see that? This is that's why the process is called being born again. And why it is that you're being born adopted into this new lineage. And so this, so so when we talk about the, uh, so describing in this process, what are the articles of adoption? What, what do we usually call those? How do you know that, that someone is going through the articles of adoption? Baptism. 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 <laughs> sure. Yeah. In other words, I'm born again. I'm changed. But now, in order to now get a new lineage and all that, now I don't need to go through the articles of adoption, which is to actually be baptized and confirm and go through this process. But I've probably been born again ahead of that. But now the articles of adoption, he now claims me. I am his. Isn't that nice? And there are two steps there. One is to see it, and the other one is to enter one thing for her to see the mountain. It's another thing for her to open the door and walk through the door out and join the people moving towards the mountain. Articles of adoption. That's what he's saying. <coughs> so now, he's saying this to who? Nicodemus. Nicodemus, here's what you're going to need to do. You are being born again. But you're going to have to be born again of water. Just like I did. I had to go through that process too. I had to be born again. That's why I had to be baptized of John. That's why that is articles of adoption. And okay? Comments on that? Does that make sense? Yeah. It just all of a sudden, I guess, the, rea- the importance of Christ getting baptized, just you see it just as you talk. It's like, whoa, I did it. I was humble enough to do it. And it was necessary that I do it. Because I was physically born into a fallen world, I need the atonement I'm going to provide. <laughs> and in order to do that, I have to see that, see it for what it is, recognize it for what it is, and then I've got to go through the articles of adoption, which is 
which that the process of baptism says, I am going to witness to Christ that I am taking this step. I'm opening the door. I will enter. It never occurred to me that he knew. Well, I kind of Yeah, physically he did. Yeah, prophesied that he would do it. Yeah. Okay, so that's why this this class, this less this chapter is actually more than what you might think. Yeah. Isn't it also a way to um, shed themselves, ourselves, of all of our uh, wrong traditions? Because they were very steeped in tradition. Oh sure. And this is all flying in the face of that. And as and as we're going to find out as we go through here, the process of somebody being born a Pharisee and a Jew to step out of that and not do something like circumcision or not do something like win against everything. I mean, even now, in, in, uh, if you're going to be baptized in, uh, in Israel, that, that's a pretty serious kind of thing because you get, you're throwing away the tradition of this is who you are. So, like when somebody who's Catholic joins the church and it's like, wait, you're Catholic. It's not a religion, it's, a, it, it's an is. It's who you is. And then you isn't that anymore, and that's wrong. You're turning your back on all of that. But there's a new lineage being proposed here. Yeah, that's a big step. Yeah? There's another thing that is born of the water and of the Spirit, and I don't know how all the other churches, the Christian churches, have baptized, but I doubt if they do the confirmation to give the yeah. no other church. Yeah. But, but both pieces are necessary. And, and, and by the way, and we tend to, and, and we have to be careful too with co- the confirmation side. This confirms you're a member of the church and bestows on you the gift of the Holy Ghost. But again, for how many people has this um, being born again of the Spirit happened before baptism? Before they ever got to the waters of baptism? In other words, how many people were already clean and cleansed before they hit, hit, hit the water? Because that's what happens. Excuse me. But it seems to me, though, I don't know, being born of the Spirit is not just a one-time experience. I mean, it's like a slow chipping away of the pain and a little bit more and a little bit more. Hang on to that idea. I'll let Elder C.S. Lewis explain it in a second. Okay. And even baptism. Yes. Not just a one. I mean, there's the. It's the door, but it's not. But it's not the journey. There you go. You're getting it. Okay, because because the key to this, I think, is that the Savior is now going to. His line of discussion with Nicodemus tells you what the tells you what the real conversation is. This is less about baptism. It's about the process of being changed. It's about the process of the articles of of. Uh, Adoption. Because he's going to say, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. And then here comes this great phrase. Marvel not that I said you must be born again. How does this process of being born again happen? And, and if, if, if you think this is about baptism, you won't understand this verse. If you understand this is about being changed by the spirit... Now this verse makes sense, and it's core to the whole chapter. The wind bloweth where it listeth. 
and thou hearest the sound thereof, but thou canst not tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth. Okay. Old time language. Somebody put that in modern language. What's that say? Can't see the wind. You can't see the wind, but but you can feel it. You feel the effect on you. You see the result of it. You can see the result of it. Yeah, trees blown over, stuff like that. Things are moving. And the spirit is like that. Why would he use this example now in talking to Nicodemus? It's a vision. Helps Nicodemus understand what? That who's feeling the spirit? He was. That he is. That he is. Nicodemus, what you are feeling, we're going to see this again. This is one of those moments, touch the Pope. We've got two chapters John 3, John 4. John 3, Nicodemus, Sanhedrin, the tall, you know, the highest of the high in society. And then we're next in, in John 4, we're going to then run into who? The Samaritan woman at the well, living in adultery, with husband number six, way to really her husband. Both are going to have the same experience, which is, what are they feeling? Spirit. The Spirit. So, in essence, he's saying the Spirit can go to anybody it wants to. And yes. it's not just for the children of Abraham, it's everyone. There you go. The Spirit will go where it needs to go, not just the children of Abraham. So on one level, it, it, it's, uh, it is speaking to you, Nicodemus, that you came because the Spirit was bearing witness to you about who I am. In my presence, hearing and talking to me, you're feeling this. You're, the Spirit is bearing witness to you that I am who I say I am. And not only that, it can now go to anybody else. And we'll find out in the next chapter it did. To be in the presence of the Savior, if your heart is open, you'll hear it. There were a number of people that didn't want to hear it. Herod being one. But those whose hearts were open at a little bit, and they peeled back just a little bit of the paint, the sunlight comes in, and you feel it. And you're feeling it, Nicodemus. You have been born again because you're opening up the light. And so when we're talking to people about the gospel... If we have that spirit with us and they're open. They feel something familiar. They feel something warm. It may not make sense. And it may be chipping a little bit at a time. Because it just takes time. Because there's a transition. But if if this is the truth. And there is warmth here. And this is peace here. It will feel right. So was this the same thing with Caesar? When he questioned Jesus before his death? It might have been. You know, he started to, you know, this is just a crazy uh, Jew that they're bringing in here. We ought to crucify him. The more he talks to him, he's like, I don't know. Remember, his wife really must have spent some time listening because she's like, we we need not to crucify this guy. Okay, Those that would have their hearts open to this man would feel who he is and would be born again. And it's a process. Okay. To give you an example from the Book of Mormon. 3 Nephi 9. And whoso cometh unto me with a broken heart and a contrite spirit. 
Him will I baptize with fire and with the Holy Ghost, even as the Lamanites. Because of their faith in me at the time of their conversion, and then here's the critical phrase, were baptized with fire and the Holy Ghost and knew it not. That's why I think, and I've had to do it in my office, and I think we have to do it as well. We, there are times we have to say to somebody, what you're feeling is the spirit. What you're feeling is the, the process of becoming born again. But you don't know it because nobody's pointed it out for you. I'm surprised sometimes the youth that come into my office and they're like, um, I'm not sure I have a testimony. And I'm, and I'm saying, you ever gone to a testimony meeting? Yeah. Was the spirit there? Yeah. I went to EFY and it felt really good. <laughs> that was it. Really? Just, if you feel the spirit, what was the spirit telling you? Well, it felt really good. Yes. But what does that mean? It's, it's, it's opening up your heart and you have, and you're in the right place to feel it and experience it. It's changing you. Yeah. I just have a question because it's bothered me for years and years and years. My mother joined the church and she never was smoking. I mean, that was just her habit. Right, and right, right. Never, uh, my, my dad passed away and uh, she met another man eventually. And uh, he was a super person. If you've ever read his book, Winter Quarters, Tommy Bryson. Yeah. Um, they kind of got together and he didn't pay. was a good member of the church. And my mom had a cigarette she always went down and some cigarettes. She got there, got out of the car, and he was not there. But she saw him standing in the door, and she got in the car and never smoked another cigarette. Is that a possibility of the kind of the spirit appearing? I think so. I think so. See, those changes come to us over time, and we look at people that struggle with habit, bad habits. And there are things, and you know, it might not, it might be smoking, but with somebody else it might be gossiping, it might be so many judging, whatever it is that we do. It can't be a matter with the spirit coming to her and and Yeah, enough to finally make that change and kind of get up and over the the hump. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so a couple of quotes. Um, President Benson. When you choose to follow Christ, you choose to be changed. No man, said President David O. McKay, can sincerely resolve to apply to his daily life the teachings of Jesus of Nazareth without sensing a change in his own nature. The phrase born again has a deeper significance than many people attach to it. This changed feeling may be indescribable, but it is real. I'm surprised, for instance, and I, I've, I've said this before, sometimes when I have worked with, with uh, people that come in with pornography addiction, for instance, and they're really struggling with that, and what they're really asking me to do is, here's my life, I, I, I've got this problem, the pornography thing, I need you to come in and do a surgical strike. Come in, remove the pornography, Get rid of that and leave the rest of my life the same. And no can do. That, and, I, and I keep trying to say, there is no way that you change this without changing other, every other aspect of your life. And sometimes we want to do that with our sins and other things that we struggle with. Come in, leave my life the same. I'll let Christ in a little bit. 
I want to remove this yucky thing and then just don't mess with anything else. It's like inviting a great handyman in and say, come in and drive a nail, but please don't work on anything else, okay? Okay? Isn't it, it's, it kind of makes me think of, you know, when you start a project in your house or you're in your car, you're, it's, it's like you open a can of worms. And all of a sudden, there's all this other stuff oh, yeah. that comes out, and it's like, and then I guess that's with ourselves. I would really like a new garage door on my garage. <laughs> to do that, we've got to actually replace the garage door opener. In order to do that, because garage door openers are now bigger, we now have to move uh, the uh, light fixture that is there so that they can put that in. In order to do that, we need to install a new electrical outlet. In order to do that, they first had to check for lead to make sure that they weren't going to work on it and be contaminated by lead. Uh, so that now we can get the, an electrician to come in and actually move the light fixture so we can put the new garage door opener so we can get, finally get the new garage door. And that's just a garage door. That's just a garage door. I know. And I know about the time we move that, they're going to go, oh, there's termites here. We've got to change that. Okay. Can human hearts be changed? Why, of course, it happens every day. The great missionary work of the church is one of the widespread, is the most widespread of Christ's modern miracles. If it hasn't happened to you, it should. Our Lord told Nicodemus that except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Of these words, President Spencer W. Kimball said, This is the simple, total answer to the weightiest of all questions. To gain an eternal life, there must be a... Rebirth. We're born fallen. People will say to me, well, I, I just keep doing stupid things. And I go, yes, we all do. We're fallen. We do stupid. We're really good at stupid. And we want to keep doing stupid. It's kind of fun. And tell, you know, we, love the long, we don't want the long run consequences, but we do like the stupid in the short run. And he says, no, I will change you completely. Okay? So there has to be this rebirth. President McKay said that Christ called for an entire revolution of Nicodemus' inner man. His manner of thinking, feeling, and acting with reference to spiritual things would have to undergo a fundamental and permanent And I think that applies to Latter-day Saints as well. And we are fallen. We may, be, we may have walked through the door, but we're still fallen. We still do stupids. And, but, and we, we will go through this process through the course of our life to slowly allow Christ to change us to, what, to where we can finally be like He is so that Cindy, I teach a lesson to young women on what the purpose of life. What's the purpose of life? Well, it's to be, it's to, be to come to, life, to earth and be, and uh, prove myself and keep the commandments and be righteous. Well, you could do that in a room all by yourself. Would that, would you, would you have fulfilled your, the purpose of your life? Peter, lovest thou me? More than these, these fishes? Yeah. Then what? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. What's the purpose of life? 
serve, be his sheep. And the purpose of being changed, to be altered by Christ, is so that we can serve like Christ. That's the purpose. That's, the, that's what this whole change thing is about. Okay? Now, so l- l- let me go to Elder C.S. Lewis. Because this, this was one of those... I, went, I, I found this quote a few years ago, and I'd forgotten how much it rattled me. This is a rattler. If you will allow this... This ought to rattle around in, in your head just a bit, okay? As only C.S. Lewis could say it. Christ, here and now, in that very room where you are saying your prayers, is doing things to you. Let that one sink in for a second. Think about where you said your prayers last. Where were you? In that room, he was doing things to you. It is not a question of a good man who died 2,000 years ago. It is a living man, still as much a man as you, and still as much a God as he was when he created the world. Really coming and interfering with your old life. Killing the old natural self in you and replacing it with the kind of self he has. At first, only for moments. You just peel away the paint just a little bit. But then for longer periods. Finally, if all goes well, turning you permanently into a different sort of thing. Into a being which, in its own small way, has the same kind of life as God, which shares his power, joy, knowledge, and eternity. I was, I was kind of contemplating on this sitting through gospel doctrine and I had this, these thoughts hit me. Hold on, let's see if I can. I won't hit you with all of this that I was writing, but here's, here's what affected me. What would happen if we understood that the Spirit of God is not merely something we feel, but instead something that produces change in us? To feel it is to be changed by it. Interactions with the Lord always leave the recipient different. He does not intend to leave us the same. The truth is we need to be altered. We are fallen. We cannot reach heaven in our present state. We must be made different. Thus, when we contact heaven in prayer and scripture reading and meeting, We brush up against His Spirit. We feel the Spirit and are touched by an outpouring. It is to be filled by an outside force that has as its intent a permanent transforming of our natures. That's what we're about. Does that make sense? C.S. Lewis wrote that when we pray, the, the Lord is changing us in our bedroom during our prayers. When we teach a lesson or provide service, we are rewarded by a confirming spirit. The effect is a minor change in us. He is dripping on our natures a drop at a time. But make no mistake, he is going about his work of changing us. When we sit in our meetings and feel the spirit, our hearts are touched and made different. 
Now, obviously, we have the choice. We can fight him if we want. But if we will allow him, he has, there's a construction job going on inside us if we will allow this process to work. Does that make sense? Yeah. But become like him, sure. So what kind of exception does Lewis in that statement is in the Christian community? Since we are mocked for our my daughter got a question today, oh, so you're gonna get your own planet? And she's gone, No, you know, because of the the basic question, that question can't have any answer. In some Christian quarters, I have heard people say, We're not we're not sure that C.S. Lewis was even Christian. Because of the stuff that he's preaching here. And the thing about C.S. Lewis is that he went from being raised in the church, agnostic, and then coming back and looking at the church through different eyes. And he says, Christ didn't see it as a crime to be like God. You know, he just was responding by what he saw. There's another quote by C.S. Lewis. You may have heard this, but I just put it up and read it to you real quick. Yeah. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, you have to, perhaps you can understand that he, what he is doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you were not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new in here, putting up an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live it, 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 he to come and live in it himself. It's probably my all-time favorite to see us in this game. Yeah. You know, a couple of weeks ago we had more conference, and this uh, is zero started by telling a story about growing golf. Be on the high council and like golf, taking molecules. I thought, what's he talking about golf or sport conference? I thought it was brilliant the way he approached it because he said, you know, you take a molecule, you know what, you get a do over. And then he tied it with the sacraments. So you get do overs every week. We, we make mistakes, we analyze what we're doing, we take a molecule. <laughs> I thought it was really good. Isn't that great? But in the process, we actually become better over time. That's the great part. The idea is to, is to hone all of that. Yeah. Uh, just to clarify, I don't think C.S. Lewis was ever a member of this church. Oh, no. No, and it, you know, and he was, I think he had very little exposure to the church. Uh, he is now. <laughs> I think he's probably a mission president somewhere on the other side. Okay. Well, let's, let, let's, uh, let's move on. We're, gosh, we only got a half hour left. Okay. A couple more things in these chapters I wanted to point out, and it's, and it's actually, the, it's, it looks like it's a side story, but, but John knew what he was doing because he's putting these stories together to tell an overall uh, theme. Let's see. Oh, uh, yeah, let me take just a second. In going back to the Book of Mormon, there's some suggestions. How do you know you've been born again? What does that process look like? Well, here's, here's the process. Peace of conscience. 
And you're going to look at some of these and go, okay, I'm good on that one, not so good on that one. or something. Okay, yes, that's why this is a process. We become more peaceful of conscience. Feeling of joy and gratitude. When you're filled with the Spirit, isn't that the time you feel the most gratitude? We have no desire to do evil. Feeling of charity towards others. Increased spiritual understanding. And we have the image of God engraven on our countenances. I'm sure that there are more, but those are just a small list. That's why this is such a process. It's a step at a time. If anything, the stories of Alma and Paul do us a little bit of an in-service. Because we start thinking it's going to be a three-day process and it will be different if an angel would just do it. All right. Can we now... Let's turn to John 3.25. Oops. Oh, boy, I keep running this stuff. Let's take a second on this one. Sorry. I know we're getting there. But there's an instance that the Savior's going to use to try and teach Nicodemus what he needs to do. Okay? And it's this one. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... Okay, stop. So, so this is referring to the brazen serpent, and why why was he lifted up in the wilderness? Okay. So, because it, in other words, these are people that had been bit by flying, fiery serpents. Say that carefully. That's one of those flying, fiery serpents. They got bit, and it, who got bit? Everybody. So everybody had the venom in them. They all were bit. Now, so we're going to take the brazen serpent, we're going to put this up in the wilderness, and now watch what happens, because the group divides itself really into three three sets of people. Who, what, what are the three groups in response to the serpent? There was the group that? That looked and believed. Okay, he says, go look. I believe that Moses is a prophet. We'll go up and look. And it somehow cures the venom in us and we don't die. Okay? Then there's a second group. And they are, look, but not believe. I don't think so, but let's cover our bases anyway. And we'll go out there. So we actually will make the effort to go look at the brazen serpent. We'll look. Okay. Then there's the third group. That is so stupid. Can you believe we've been bit by snakes and we're supposed to go look at a snake? That is just absurd. What prophet in his right mind? I'm not sure he's a prophet. What's wrong with this? Is nuts. I ain't going. And what happened to them? 
They died. There's the three groups. Well, and, and it was early that they thought it was so easy, there's no way that could possibly work. Like, they thought it was too easy. It must be harder. That doesn't make any sense. It's got to be harder. To Make it harder for us. Yeah, they didn't do it because they're like, well, that's too easy. That uh, that's right. It's like Elisha saying to Naaman, just go dip yourself in the river. <laughs> really? I got better rivers in Syria. Yeah. Do you have? Okay. No, right here. Yeah. Oh, I just thought it was attached to shame. I thought it was Satan saying, that is too easy. What are you going to do? Go look. You know what I mean? I just feel like he's in there and going to shame is good and they're buying into that. They are. They are. Okay, so there's the three groups. He, Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness. So must the Son of Man be lifted up. Whoso believeth in him should not perish, not die like those in the wilderness, but have everlasting life. What's he saying to Nicodemus? Look. Look. You've got to take the effort. And, and not only that, Moses or Nicodemus came out of the dark the dark of night to come to him and see the light. Trust what you feel. It's bearing witness to you. Okay. All right. Now, here's a, here's the next here's the next little story here, and it is related. You wouldn't think it was, but I want you to hear how this is tied together. Okay. And they came unto John. Who came unto John? John's. Disciples. There were people that were listening to John in the wilderness and uh, were baptized by him and became his disciples. John was teaching as much as he was baptizing. Okay? And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, which was Christ, Jesus that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptized, and all men come unto him. Put that in different words. What are they saying? I thought they were supposed to follow you. They're going yes. to follow him. He's stealing your sheep. He's stealing your stuff. Yeah, he's stealing the sheep. That's not fair. You were there first. And now they're coming in? That's not right. And so they were a bit jealous. And they were thinking that John should be jealous. That's not fair. Because it's about how many sheep can you gather, right? They're also defending him because they loved him and they honored him. They did. And if he's going and and if if you really want to get the gospel, you should get it from John. Not from Jesus. He was here first. And I love how he says this. Verse 28. Ye yourself bear me witness that I am not the Christ, but I am sent before Him. And then here comes this great... Verse 29. You just have to love the imagery of this. On the wedding, on a wedding day, who is the most beautiful person in the room? The bride. It is her personal Academy Award. She's walking the red carpet. You know, she's spending three days just getting a manicure. Getting ready for this and picking out the right dress and wondering what she's going to wear and what colors. And this is her day. 
And the idea is for her to step into the room and the groom go, oh my gosh. And everybody else go, oh wow. Man, is she stunning. Not a beautiful, more beautiful woman on the whole planet than Miss Three Day Manicure that just walked in. He and listen, so listen to John, who's standing there in in uh, uh, you know leather and, and and camel hair stuff, and he's in the wilderness. Okay, and he's going to say to them that have come out of Jerusalem. He that hath the bride, he that hath the beautiful bride, he that hath the most beautiful woman in the room, is the bridegroom. And who wouldn't be jealous to want to be the bridegroom in that setting? He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom the best man, the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth who? Him, the bridegroom. He's focused, yes, she's spectacular. But who's he focused on? The bridegroom. What does he see? Rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. What's the bridegroom saying? Wow. <laughs> is she beautiful? But in other words, he is rejoicing in the bridegroom's joy. I'm taking joy in my friend's joy. It's not about me. This is his moment. With him and the bride. This is the Savior, and who's the bride? Church. The church. So who's the bride? Us. Us. We are the bride. And He loves us. Those that have been born again, going through this process, we are the bride. And He is, and John is taking joy in watching the bridegroom's joy at his bride. Great. This is my joy thereof is fulfilled. My joy comes in his joy. He must increase and I must decrease. This is his day. This is his wedding. Not mine. Think that would hit them where they live? Okay, now, along with that, ooh, and then uh, we're going to have to hurry. Here's the question that I have in conjunction with that. How do you react to the success of others? When you look around in the ward and somebody else's kid is going on a mission or somebody else's husband is getting that calling or somebody else's job just kind of exploded and suddenly they become, they're doing great financially. How do you do? How are you in your heart? Depends on your success. It can be. It can be. And so what happens on those days when 
maybe life is really kicking you in the teeth and somebody else in the ward seems to be doing really well. How do you handle their success? Sometimes envy. We do. And why is envy such a bad thing? I mean, it's one of the Ten Commandments. We call it covetousness, but it's the same thing. Why is it so bad? Because we're not supportive and we're not happy about their success. We're just poor pitiful me. Yes, it's about us. Yeah. This takes away your gratitude. It's like slapping on the face. It does rob our gratitude, doesn't it? Yeah. I should say the church has a little clip on the prodigal son. Uh-huh. Yes. It has that quote by Jeffrey R. Holland, how the green-eyed monster that envy. It is. It kills us. It robs you of it. And rather than take joy in their joy, we're taking we're taking envy that we're not getting that we don't get the bride, we don't get the goodies. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, I th- and I think we struggle with those battles. Yeah. It's a wedge in between us and that person that it prevents us from being open to serve that person. We, it is going to stop. You're right. It is going to stop us from serving them if we're if we're so envious of what the good stuff that's happening to them. Then we kind of pull back a little bit ourselves, don't we? And it's especially true. Let me tell you when it's especially true. When we're right, we're more righteous than they are. <laughs> what is up with that? You know, I'm I'm keeping the commandments. I'm doing everything. I know they're smoking on the side, and they're the ones getting the great job. What happened? That's not how it's supposed to work. I mean, you know. I think it all goes back to pride. It does. And my pride is, I should be getting more of this stuff. And I should appear to be better. And, and we get caught up in that stuff. It does. It pulls us off to the side. Yeah. It's really it's a lack of trust. That God knows what He's doing. He will give us what we need when we need it. And He will wait when we need to wait. Yes. Trusting that He knows what's best for someone else. It's, it's trust. It is trust. You know, I, 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 was, I was telling Cindy, uh, I, I really am going to go down and I'm going to get a stamp made uh, for my office that says, Thy will be done. So we can stamp it. Because really what we're doing in our prayers... So often as we're saying, I want the pony, but thy will be done. It's like, it is a disclaimer. And at the end of the day, do I really want his will? Oh, heck no. <laughs> I want my will. I'm afraid that his will is for me not to have the pony. But I want the pony. But I know I'm supposed to say thy will be done, so... I really want the pony, but I will be done. I didn't say it, but my heart is still really going to be disappointed if I didn't get the pony. So I, I figure I'm just going to have the stamp, and I'm going to have somebody write down. You tell me what you really want. We'll put the stamp on it. Now we did it. 
Because our heart changed, the born again process says, I really want what you want for me instead of what I want. Yeah. thing because I'm going to, because we're going to come hit that and it's so powerful but it would fit here too. Yeah. We also know, don't know what that person that got, maybe they want a yeah. dollar jackpot. We yep. don't know. We don't know. Completely. We don't. Okay. Now, the time we got remaining. Okay. Um, two, quick, uh, we're gonna, two quick things. We'll do this, show you the video, and then we, we will be done. But I need you to, because there is a great, Hollywood misses all the really great moments. And this is one of the great Hollywood moments in the Bible. I'm telling you, this is good. If Hollywood would just do this one right. They won't, but this is a really good one. Um, and it is the woman at the well. We know this story, right? Really well. Let's go to um, John 4. Now again, the, John has put these two together. We're getting Nicodemus on one side coming, prompted by the Spirit, shows up, and the Savior's going to teach him about, listen to the Spirit. Be guided by this. And you're being born again even before you walk through the door. As you came through the night to come see me, you were being changed. To hear who I am. Yeah? Why do you think it's so difficult to understand this being born again thing? Oh, well, why would it be so difficult to understand it? Why would it be so difficult to let it happen to us? There's the struggle. I mean, part of it is an understanding, but if we get it, then we have to open the door. We've got we to gotta enter. And it's like, dang, that means going against the traditions and things. We've got another set here. Because he's going to go from Jews in, in Jerusalem and Here's Nicodemus, and now they're going to travel up through here, and they're going to go through Samaria. Now, interesting side note, so these are the Samaritans. Anybody, are, are these children of Israel? Yes. Anybody know what tribes? Brace yourself. No, there was a little bit of Benjamin. Mostly Judah. None of there. Ephraim and Manasseh. The Samaritans by lineage. Some Benjamin, mostly Ephraim and Manasseh. There's some believing blood in here. But they, they also had a lot of outsiders in there as well. There had been some intermarrying and, and things like that. And there always is that. But, they're, but their lineage primarily is coming out of the north. And they are of Ephraim and Manasseh. 
they are children of Joseph, as are we, right? Okay, so now, so now you get this sense. Okay, so he goes through Samaria. Um, But Kevin, their bloodline wasn't wasn't pure. No, it wasn't. Whose is? Ours isn't. Nobody, but I mean, that's the reason why the Jews hated the Samaritans. Yeah, well, and the Samaritans at the time they came back from exile, there's a whole story there. The Jew, when the Jews came back out of exile, out of Babylon, the Samaritans wanted to help, but they weren't as pure as as the Jews wanted them to be, so they rejected the help. And so the Jew, the Samaritans went on Mount Gerizim and built their own temple and did their own worshiping. They had their own Passover, and some still do, on this mountain, Gerizim, and in Samaria, as opposed to being in Jerusalem. So there was a lot of hatred and animosity between the two. Samaritans hated the Jews for not accepting their help and thinking they were better than them, and the Samaritans weren't pure and clean. And so that's why, that's, that's why to go from Nicodemus... The Pharisee and pure lineage guy to the Samaritans who's murky and this and a woman from Samaria living in adultery. There's no bigger gap that I can... (laughs) The only other time we're going to see anywhere close to this is the woman with the issue of blood. Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, and the issue of blood who's... She's unclean, she's almost a leper. These are these two big gaps we're going to get in the Bible. Okay? Oh, done 10 minutes. Dang it. All right, here we go. Let me give you the... Uh, here is the uh, Hollywood moment. And, and I want to kind of get to this point, and then I'll put on the video and we'll be good. All right. Um, uh, the disciples go... You have to picture this. The Savior's going to sit at the well. The disciples all go into town to get something to eat. And they leave him alone at the well. Jacob's well that Jacob built. Okay? Famous place, still there. And then the woman comes up. There cometh a woman from Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. Oh, that's a major faux pas, right? You're not supposed to be, men aren't supposed to be talking to a, the women they're not married to, and not only this is a Jew talking to a Samaritan. Oh, that's just awful. And the women of, Sam- of Samaria said, How is it that thou being a Jew askest drink of me? I'm a woman of I'm a woman and a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And he says, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith unto thee give me to drink thou would have asked of him and he would have given thee living water you don't know who I am if you had any idea who I am I will be paying for those sins shortly and she says you don't have anything to draw with and the well is deep Art thou greater than our father Jacob? And, and, and he's going to say to her, Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him 
shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be a well of water springing up into everlasting life. I believe this is the moment when the Spirit touched her. At first she's not sure, and then she hears, and something is stirring in her. Some of the paint got peeled off the window, and the light starts to stream in, and she feels something. And she says, 15, Woman, the woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst for. She gets it. What I'm feeling, I don't completely understand, but I want what you have. I want what you're offering. And then he's going to test her a little bit. Where's your husband? Well, I don't have a husband. Well, you're right. You've had five. So he's, he's trying to show... You know, a dual thing's happy. He's trying to show that he respects her because yeah. he needs to call her husband. That's right. And it's getting him, him an opportunity to help her realize he has a, a gift. Yeah. And he's also ready to teach something, and more people should hear this. The woman, 19. I, oh, I think you're a prophet. And that's not just a prophet like minor P prophet. This is to do what you're doing is a major P prophet. Like Nicodemus is like, wow, this is a prophet. And she says, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, Gerizim, and they said Jerusalem, and he said, The time is coming when you, you won't necessarily have to worship in this mountain or at Jerusalem, because where I am you worship. Basically is what he's saying. The hour cometh and now is true that worshippers shall worship the Father. And then he's going to say, uh, God is a spirit. Joseph is going to say, we're supposed to worship God in spirit. Um, the woman says, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. And then the moment. Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. I am Messiah. And he's going to say this to an adulterous Samaritan woman who is believing, who is being born again at that moment. She's being changed at that moment. I perceive you're giving you the water. Yeah, I can now reveal to you I am He. Now here's the moment. Here's the Hollywood moment. Because what she, she's going to, 28... She left her water pot. She went out and carried the water pot. And went her way and saith unto the men, The Messiah is here. So she's going to go off to get the people. And bring them out. Now, at this point, the disciples come. So, so she leaves. Here comes the disciples. Yeah, you have to really see this. Yeah, you got to picture this. Came the disciples and said, Marvel that he talked to the woman. Why are you talking to her? Well, she, she's leaving. And in the meanwhile, they prayed and said, Master, eat. And he says, oh, I have meat to eat that you don't know of. I've already been filled. And they said, no, we got the meat. What meat do you have? And he says, 34, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and finish his work. And you go, well, wait. We can wait for the harvest. Now, here's the moment. Just picture this. So she goes off, and she's telling everybody, the Messiah is here, I just met him at the well, he's telling me personal stuff about my, 
no other way. You've got to come meet this guy. And so she's gathering up the crowds, and they start walking back up towards Jacob's well. So you just kind of watch this group of people following her. She's walking. They're probably right behind her. You've got to see. Come on, come on. So she's getting them up the hill. And, and the disciples are up there, and, and he's going to say to them, to the disciples, Behold, verse 35, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. Lift up your eyes and look on the fields. Where are they looking? At the people that are coming. Turn around and look. There are the fields and they are all, all white, ready to harvest. And, and I picture this moment when they all turn and there's the field, look. And they look, and here come the people. They will spend two days in this town preaching the gospel of baptism. But he's teaching them, there's the field you were sent. There's the meat. There's the bride. Right there. And here the saying is true. One soweth me, and another reapeth you. Go to work. That's, I want to see that moment in the millennial movie. Thanks. Okay. All right. Christ was excited. I don't know why, but she said that. Oh, he's got to just be thrilled because he loves these people. And they're coming to hear him. And he loved her. She felt loved. There's no way you feel the spirit and not feel loved. Just ain't that. Okay. Um, all right, that said.
now given me of this water, that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Go, call thy husband, and come hither. I love the look on her face as she gets it. The goal of the Savior is to change us and make us different. He, ha- he does not intend to leave us the same. That process we call born again. It means going through the articles of adoption and being changed and receiving Him as our lineage. And He means us to be like Him. There's not a greater gift I can imagine. I pray that as we go about our week this week, that we can allow Him to change us. Feel a little bit more of the pain. Let the light in. Let it warm us and change us. And then act on it. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our dear Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to be with you here this morning and have light and understanding into our hearts and help us to individual be born again. Help us to be loving people towards each other this week in our homes and in our communities. Help us to provide safety as the weather will increase and be more difficult. We are grateful for Brother Hankin's insight. Have a great week.